Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 89 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this show. Welcome back to our regular listeners and welcome if this is your first show. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. My guest this week is Beth Miller and she's going to be talking all about Rocky. But first, in some doggy news... We go to the UK and in Hampshire, a little Jack Russell by the name of Millie got loose from her lead and wandered out on some mudflats and became stranded. Millie's guardians then enlisted the help of local firefighters, police and coast guards who tried for quite some time unsuccessfully to lure Millie out of that area. Enter one of the local drone pilots who came up with the idea of dangling a sausage from a long line, flying the drone in, and lo and behold, Lily moved the 300-odd metres, and was saved. So go Millie and chalk one up for technology. Now, I know a lot of people have mixed emotions and thoughts on COVID procedures and regulations, but uh, a restaurant in Canada has got temporarily in trouble because... A couple of their staff were meant to be checking their guests in with QR codes and vaccination statuses, etc. But instead, customers were allowed in upon showing a picture of their dog on their phone. And uh, that's now been amended so that they go by the rules. And now is this week's interview. Welcome to the Relax Dog Podcast. I am here with Beth Miller. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you, Robert? I am fantastic as well, especially speaking with you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much. So whereabouts in the world are you? I am in the States in Ohio, so sort of right in the middle of the Midwest area there. So up by the Great Lakes, we've got a little natural, you know, freshwater area up there. So we're not near the beach but we are near the lake shore, so oh, nice. <laughs> that counts. <laughs> and uh, who are we going to talk about today? Well, I have two dogs because they're linked to each other. Uh, the first one is we had a 14-year-old Great Pyrenees named Rocky, who we lost last January on the 11th. And um, he he sort of changed my view of how you should love a dog. And then... We had lost him, so we went ahead and jumped into fostering a service dog puppy in training. And that taught me a lot about how to love a dog also. And it was sort of like this link from one dog to the other that, you know, I had gotten advice from the one dog and helped me love the other one better, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it sort of does, yep. I'd ask you to take us back in time to just before you met Rocky. And tell us about the the hows and whys that that happened. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Well, I had a boxer named Tucker who was 13 and I lost her in in May of 13. And it was just devastating to me. um, I've been lucky that I have had dogs that live a long time. So I've only had two dogs of mine in my adult life because they lived so long. And then after I lost Tucker, um, I met a guy named Tom and it was one of those conversations of, I hope my dog loves you because he doesn't love everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, you know, I used to do obedience and training and competing. And so I felt like, you know, I at least had the right demeanor to approach a dog. 
and uh, you know, in a particular way, knowing what that's like from from the training and the obedience work. And so, luckily, we got along. But it was my first experience with having a dog where you need to watch them all the time. And I I'd never had that, and I had never had that. So I had my first dog. You know, she scored. I've got my certificate back here that she was the highest scoring dog despite the fact that she was an American Cocker Spaniel that's not an obedience dog at all but um you know so I came from this experience of my dogs never bark they're always in heel position sit stay down they stay as long as I tell them to and no begging you know all these like polite dog behaviors and I always knew that I could give Holly or Tucker to anybody to watch or to take for a minute and there would be absolutely no problem right 100%, which is not possible with dogs, but as close as you can get. And so when I met Rocky, um, it was a real adjustment for me. You know, I was, it's hard not to be, um, you know, uh, I guess judgmental about the way he was raised and things like that. But then you take a look at the Rocky and he was adopted or rescued in Kentucky by a young girl and her boyfriend, Tom's son and his girlfriend. And she took this fluffy, puffy, Great Pyrenees puppy home and her parents Googled Great Pyrenees saw 150 pounds and said, absolutely not. So <laughs> take it back. So of course they're like, Oh, they're going to put it down. It was from rescue. We can't do that. And so Corey ends up taking Thompson and Corey lives in the UK university of Kentucky area where all the students go and it's, it's loud and they're partying and it's just, it's not a great environment for a large dog to be in a small frat house kind of setup. So uh, he had some colorful moments from the minute he was born. And then Corey brought the dog up to see his dad. And he said, you know, why don't you keep him for a couple of weeks? Because Tom had just lost his dog. Well, Rocky never went back home. (laughs) So (laughs) he just fit like they were just freaking frag. They just kind of went together and um, they just became best friends. And Tom worked out of the house. So coming into that, There was a lot of adjustment to, you know, the life of being the person who your friend has a dog because I was always the one with the dog, right? Mm -hmm. So I became the dog sitter and will you walk the dog? And I can remember the first time that Tom's like, I'm going to be out of town. Can you watch Rocky? Take him for a walk, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes. He goes, but if he sees a UPS truck, he will lose his mind with a delivery truck. And so I was like, okay. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got this, right? I've got the gear. I know how to handle a dog regardless of size. This is not going to be a problem. And I get over there and I'm thinking, this is not my dog. This is a busy road. (laughs) You know, (laughs) what have I gotten myself into? And so, you know, I had him, you know, just like clenched grip. Like I don't, I can't let anything happen to this dog. And Man, he was right. Because (laughs) not just one, not just two, but three UPS trucks went past us while I was walking this dog and he (laughs) lost his mind all three times. He's just, I don't know if there was something in the yard where he was, you know, down in UK, but he did not like that at all. So it, he is, he's a handful, right? That's, that's a big dog to disagree with. (laughs) How old roundabout was he when you first sort of met him? Oh, let's see. I think he was six. So, you know, an adult dog set in his ways at that point a little bit. (laughs) But man, it was, it was interesting because not, I never have had to worry about where I took my dog or what I did with my dog or, you know, and with Rocky, you always have to think of that. And I, I think to some extent that I had the wrong approach before, because even if your dog is great, you should always pause before you do. And I, I really didn't before because I trusted them so much, but you know, dogs are dogs. Mm-hmm. People are people. People <laughs> are going to do things that dogs don't like and dogs are going to do things that, you know, it's bound to happen. And so it, it taught me a lot about patience and acceptance of dogs that had checkered pasts and things like that. And then kind of getting into my own group with Rocky, right? So he and Tom had their own, their own schedule and their own little special voices and, you know, belly rubs and all those things. And so I developed my own, my own ear rubs, my own, you know, scratching with, you know, the little noises that I would make that meant, you know, come here and I'll scratch you and, so you develop sort of your own new language, depending on the dog that you're with, I think. And so we developed what I guess would be the, the Rocky and Beth vocabulary oh, nice. of, of yep. us exchanging things with each other. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was fun to get to sort of get to know a dog as an adult. Mm-hmm. I had not done that before. <laughs> was he reactive to any other things? 
He would go after some people, not very often. I think there were only maybe eight people in the time that I knew him that he kind of went after, not he wasn't off lead and went after him, but just, you know, act like if he was off lead, you want to eat them. <laughs> and I don't know that he would have done anything. And he's a great Pyrenees, which usually they, they don't bark, or they bark, but they don't bite, and, but they do take off. So, mm-hmm. you know, he would be interested in maybe going to see that person. And that's a big dog to come and investigate you. <laughs> so yeah, he, he didn't like that. And there were some, he was afraid of some things. So he was, he would spend a certain amount of time hiding in the bathtub. So he, that was his safe spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, just kind of insulating. And it's probably where he went when the parties were going on at the university and it just extended to here. So he just, he found ways for himself to soothe himself. And then we tried to supplement that with, ways to, you know, keep him calm and, you know, acclimate him to new situations a little bit better. And so it was, it was great to watch that transformation, not just of him, but of myself as a dog person. And then that relationship between the two of us. And that of course trickles into your relationship with people in your life. Mm. So it's, it's, it's wonderful how, I mean, you really can't come into contact with a dog and not walk away with it from some benefit. So with some kind of benefit, you are a better person after you meet a dog, even if you don't like them. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yep. I, they just have that special quality in my opinion. And yeah, I think, I think that dogs are the, the dolphins of the, the walking planet. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're just always like that. Yep. Can't argue with that at all. Absolutely. What was the sort of like standard walk environment like when you were over at, at Tom's place and you took Rocky out? Yeah. Well, there was the sort of the sidewalk route, which is sort of a suburban development kind of thing where everybody has about an acre. And so there's, you know, a lot of woods, it's woods and, you know, quiet, <clears throat> quiet setting in there. And then we live near a park and, I, and then we have a metro park system. So I love hiking. So we would take him to like the gorge and go camping with him and, you know, go out in the woods and take him to places where he could splash around in the water and get all buddy and amazing how a pure white dog can get that dirty at at such a short period of time. And then when we would get home, he would be clean. I, I never understood it. I, he, and he wasn't back there cleaning himself. So I don't know, maybe it's a special great Pyrenees trait, but he was never dirty after we'd be covered in mud. But yeah, it was, I, and I find, um, I don't know, the the forest for me is very restorative for me. And I, Mm -hmm. and then when you have a dog with you, I don't know. There's just something I, I love to go hiking in the, in the woods, old growth forest with a dog when it's raining, just slightly raining. Just nobody's there. It's quiet. Mm-hmm. Everything in the woods is quiet. And it's just the sound of you and your dog walking along, breaking twigs and, and running around and having fun. And yeah, it's just, you create those moments. And so I think people, have a tendency to categorize walk the dog with the square around the neighborhood versus unfortunately let's go on an adventure. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I agree with you there that they need yeah. so much more enrichment and that, and it's so much better for, for the person as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have a friend who lives in the Pacific Northwest up in the Oregon, Washington area of the States, and she has two dachshunds and people always think, you know, they can't walk very fast or go very far, but they are, tough dogs so she has two of them and she has a blog that she records her adventures with them because they hike you know six seven miles at at a time with these two dachshunds and they've got their gear on and they've got their goggles on and they've got their feet ready and i mean they're just hilarious so she has this blog called you did what with your wiener because it challenges it challenges people's perception of of what you can do with a wiener dog and so that's one of those great ways that people challenge the status quo of dog ownership. Yeah, no, I like I it. love it when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so on the on the trails, ever come across any interesting wildlife and any interesting interactions? Oh yes. The one I remember the most, well, there were two, I guess. Uh, they were both with my with my boxer and then the last one with Rocky. So I'll tell you about the Tucker one was we were in a conservation area which meant that it, I worked for the conservation agency, so I had access to get to this space. So it wasn't really open to the public. So it was great to go there and let my dog off lead and we would fish and hike and all that kind of stuff and search for shed. And that was just this wonderful place to sort of play around with her. And we came around the corner on this little pathway and there was a deer standing there. 
Mm. And it just stood there and just stared at us like, what are you doing here? This is <laughs> my space, right? And then it started to stamp its feet. And Tucker had no idea at all what to do with this thing. First, it was bigger than her, right? And then it started stamping. And she just stood at it, stared at it like, I don't know what you're trying to tell me here. But I think the deer finally figured this whole stamping, stomping routine I'm doing is not working. So it just kind of wandered away, you know. And then the next one was when I was with Rocky and we were at Sugar Creek Metro Park. And I, um, I have a tendency to go a little further than I should when I hike. <clears throat> and that was one of those days when it was getting dark too. Quick. And so I'm, I'm kind of jogging with Rocky to get through the park to get to the end. And we started to walk slow a little, we get toward the end. And all of a sudden there's this huge bared owl, which is a big owl that just swooped right out of a tree and scared the heck out of me and nothing from Rocky. Thank God he totally missed it. So I'm like, let's get out of here. But I was glad to have a big dog with me when I saw that mm-hmm. thing coming at me. But yeah, it's, it's every time I go into the woods, I, I'm not a good person to hike with because I have a tendency to, I'm not a get from point A to point B hiker. I'm a, oh my gosh, look at that, the way that that tree is formed. Oh my gosh, look at the wildflowers coming in. Oh my gosh, look at this picture with Rocky up against the green, you know. So it's uh, it's very much an exploration kind of hiking style. And so it's it's just a perfect fit for having a dog with you. And then they get to sniff around and have that great sensory experience just like we do. Sounds great. And off lead or on lead? <laughs> Who's listening? <laughs> I really didn't have lead in my mind uh, mm-hmm. for a long period of my life. You know, we didn't, when I was growing up, we didn't have dogs on leashes very much. It was just the dogs were out and they either stayed in your yard or they didn't. And, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and then, you know, you get into obedience and then you're like, a six foot leash, that's awfully short, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then yes. you become accustomed to that. So when I was in obedience and training, um, you know, they were pretty much always on lead for that. But then when I was home, um, they were just trained to stay in my yard and I didn't even have collars on them. So that, and that's just really bad. You know, they weren't chipped. They had no collars on them and they were loose in my yard, which I would never recommend that to someone. And I think that's part of the dog owner journey, right? There are things that I did with dogs when we were growing up that I would never, ever do with my dogs now. And there are probably things that I'm going to do today that are really bad, but I don't know any better. So we just have to accept the fact that we're never going to know enough about how to take care of dogs in the way that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to go back to the home. So where was Rocky's, did he have a place? Is he like free home around or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was kind of chill. Golden, you know, Golden Retriever, <laughs> Great Pyrenees are uh, kind of lopers, just kind of, you know, because they're waiting to watch over the flock. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have a flock to watch, then you're just kind of, you know, hanging out. So he was, he was, um, you know, just kind of his his own domain. And because he was uh, a little unpredictable, there wasn't a lot of people bringing their dogs over and that kind of promotion. So he had a pretty quiet um, existence, but our backyard was not fenced. And he's Great Pyrenees and they run. so. We finally, about two years before he passed away, we finally built our own dog park in the backyard. So we dug everything up and we we dug down a foot into the ground and buried the fence down there and then put in, you know, it's just whatever we could think of to keep it safe and have it be a nice experience for him. And I really wish we would have done that earlier because that gave him a completely different quality of life. And this, the way he went through his life, you know, day by day was completely transformed because he was always on a flexi or you know, on a, a line that was with us when we were gardening or doing something like that. We always wanted us him with us, but then you have to tend to him all the time instead of letting him just kind of hang out around you. So um, we gave him his space there. And then on the inside of the house, we had talked because of Wagtown to a guy from the Red Cross. And when he was talking about emergencies and federal emergency management, he mentioned that if he could tell dog owners one thing, it would be to keep your dog with you when you go to bed at night, whether they have their own room or they're in your room, you need to know how to get to them immediately because most people who are dying in fires now, at least in our area, is because they're going in after their pets. So we've gotten enough of fire, you know, um, like flammable retardation, that kind of uh, fabric being used. So we have far few fires. So most of their work is um, first responders for medical emergencies. But when they do go for fire, 
they know that if there's a pet in that house, they've got to watch the people because they will go in after them. So if you know, so we, we, we built Rocky his own room in our room. <laughs> so we have our bedroom and then there's a six by six room with, you know, it's, it's tiled up the sides. So he, there's nothing bad can happen there and just put some dog decorations on there. So yeah, we were actually that dog crazy that we built him his own room when we, when we built the house. So, but you know, he loves it. And it was a, a nice cool room when you're a big dog with all that hair, it's nice to have a nice cool room. Mm-hmm. So I didn't put a little, um, one of those cots in there for dogs. And he just loved it. I mean, he wouldn't go in there unless his blankie was on there the right way, though. <laughs> it had a little wrinkle in it. He'd stand there next to it and look at you like, uh, nobody made my bed this morning and I am not getting in it until you do. <laughs> so we'd, you know, shake it out and he would just stand there and watch you. And then you'd be like, okay. And he would just saunter over and look at you like, thank you. <laughs> Shouldn't have to tell you. <laughs> I was going to ask where he normally slept and being a big dog. <laughs> Yeah, wherever you want, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you a lot of people will still say, yeah, big dog, yeah, in the bed, you know, and and end up being uncomfortable, but hey, the, the dog sleeps well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Did he have a particular favourite spot in the house during the day to lounge around? Well, he had a couple of spaces. He did like the bathtub for uh, rain, if it was rainy out or any kind of wind, then definitely he was in the bathtub because that was scary time. When we were outside, then he was generally within about 15 feet of us and just sit out. And I was always surprised he would lay in the sun, especially on a hot day mm-hmm. because it was you know really warm and he has all that fur, but it really reinforced for me that they need that coat. You know, a lot of people shave a Great Pyrenees when they live in somewhere that gets you know in the 90s in the summer, but that's uh, horrible for them. And it protected him. And you know his his coat was never hot because his white his white coat reflected mm-hmm. and so he would just bask out there and so we got the bright green grass and this big fluffy white dog and then inside the house because he was always warm then he would lay like we have um heated tile floors and on the edges of it where the wire isn't then it's cooler cool. <laughs> so yep. he was always smooshed up against somewhere toward the ends of the tiles and <laughs> if he wasn't there then he was laying on our feet waiting for us to spoil him so that's probably my favorite position that he held mm-hmm. so you sort of, yeah, um, definitely talked about some temperature there what was the, the the seasonal range where you live and and also did he have a preference on which season he did like when it was cold you know when it's snowing out and we go for our walks he's bouncing around and you know grabbing things and throwing them up in the air and just you know it's it's a joy to see him play in that. And it's the only time he doesn't look like he's all white because he's not as white as snow. So he looks dirty. Um, but we will have, uh, let's see, we canceled an event that we had last summer because it was 115 degrees. And that's very unusual here, though. And then I think, you know, on a really bad winter, if we go down to 20 below, that's really unusual. So there can be some extremes, but I would say about... Nine months of the year, it's comfortable to be outside. There's only, you know, a couple of months where it's really cold and icy and just, you know, miserable out there. Everything's in, you know, dormant stage, so it's not pretty. So it's not all that great to be out with your dog anyway. So that's when you kind of get the hug time and watch movies or something like that with your dog on the couch because he's, you know, the one that wants to be out there. So you have to know, you have to peel yourself off the couch, put on your warm stuff, get your boots on because it's not all about you. (laughs) So he loves that. He loves that. So I I would hate to not take him out in that. But when it's really hot, we had to be very careful with him. It's just even his pads on the, on the asphalt and things like that. Cause it's, it gets, it gets pretty toasty. So yeah, I think he, he really liked being cool. And uh, some of the warmer days, he would just look at you like, this is terrible. (laughs) I don't like this at all. I don't know that he was ever in any, you know, discomfort like you know to that extent but i'm sure if he had to set the thermostat it would probably be lower than we had it set did you ever have any of those sort of like being a white dog in the snow and being if he was off lead any of those like where where where, where's he gone moments (laughs) (laughs) yes yes i actually have a video of him running in the snow and i could see the leash his eyeballs and his nose and his butthole. And that's all. So I said, if he closes his eyes or puts his snout in the ground, 
we're never going to find him. You know, <laughs> he does kind of disappear. That particular day, it was kind of blizzardy out. So lots of snow coming down, plus the dog jumping around. Yeah, but it, it was beautiful. You know, just to see a dog like that with all that coat prancing around and just the coat going everywhere and just having the time of his life. And it's just something about that. When you see a dog with that much joy, it just makes your whole day. Yeah. Uh, favorite toys. Ooh, well, that's an interesting story because I'm like, Tom, what's his favorite toy? And he says, he doesn't play with them. Mm-hmm. I'm like nothing. <laughs> and so he wouldn't, we'd have squeaky things, nothing. He didn't care about anything like that. And then I got him one of those wobblers where you put food inside of it and it looks yes, like yep. a, a weeble. So it rocks back and forth. And he sort of just stared at it. Like, what is that? And why did, you know, so, and we had put treats in there to entice him to play with it. Cause he's not, a, he's not a toy dog. Right. And once he got the hang of it though, then you have this big dog that can take his paw and just slap, you know, hit that thing. And it goes flying across the room and all the food comes out. Well, we made the mistake of, starting with treats we should have started with dog food because <laughs> now he won't he would not play with the wobbler if it had kibble in it he would only play with it with certain treats <laughs> so he had us trained on that one yeah you that's, that, that's just not worth it very well trained <laughs> yeah. um what about favorite games that he'd like to play oh my gosh well my favorite thing i think with him because he was such a um He's a big dog, right? So having a dog that big, you know, there's a lot to it, but something about having a big dog lean into you is is sort of like a, a hug for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And so to get him close to me, then I would put my fingers out like claws and I would just squeeze him back and forth and go. And he knew that that was the, the sound where if he came by and went cruising through me and had his, his butt toward me, then I could get the backside, you know, on top of his back and, and he would just sit there and just, you know, oh, I love this. Don't ever stop kind of thing. So it was either that or you'd put his head right between your knees where you could grab his ears and he and you just go back and forth and back and forth. And it's like so much you think you're going to catch the dog's head on fire. You know, he loves it. I don't know. It's just those snuggle moments, you know, because he wasn't I didn't know him as a pup when he would be, you know, scrambling around and puppy. So he, but he is, he was sort of the, the old soul kind of dog. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff with him was sort of special quiet moments more so than, you know, like a, a relationship with like a border collie or a Vizsla dog like that would be very different from what we had with Rocky, which was, you know, it suited his disposition and his size and sort of the whole dynamic of Rocky. Being a bigger dog, were there ever any moments that you can, sort of recall that you were like really worried that something bad was going to happen or you got really anxious? You mean that he would do something? Yeah. Or or, or he would do something or something would happen to him. Yeah. I did worry about him being able to break the lead uh, to get away or that I wouldn't be able to have enough strength. If he really wanted to go after something, would I be able to stop him from doing that? So I always wrapped the lead in a way that, you know, I would have been pulled through the rubble, but I wouldn't lose him. And uh, that's always, that's always worried me. My Cocker Spaniel got out the door when it was my first dog, right? And she's running toward the street and I'm just completely losing my mind. And of course, the more I chase her, the more she runs away. And I'm just, luckily she turned around and and came back, but I never forgot that feeling. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I'm with a dog, I'm always very careful about where's the lead, you know, are they connected? How loose is their collar? You know, all that kind of stuff. But, and so with Rocky, Tom is very um, gentle and loving with his dogs. I've never seen anybody love a dog like Tom does, all dogs. And he, as a result, doesn't want the dog to have any discomfort of any kind at all. So he would, even with this collar, I could probably put my head through the collar <laughs> while it was on Rocky. It was that loose. <laughs> so that made me nervous, you know, because all I have to do is that little head twist and they're they're gone. Mm-hmm. And he never really went for that. I don't know that he d- didn't know he could do it or what, but yeah, it's just that squishiness to him and then the gear. But I, I did worry about him because he was stronger than I was. Um, and, and then the other thing was that people always wanted to get a selfie with him, that they always wanted to hug him. And with a dog that's not comfortable with everyone, and dogs don't like to be hugged in general anyway, a lot of times. So they, they would run up to him, kids and adults, it didn't matter. They were like, oh my 
gosh. So he was beautiful, but it was a real magnet, and which is great if you have a happy little lucky dog that loves everybody. But it was, I'm sure, scary for him to have those people coming at him, getting into his space, touching him. And then, of course, you know, they want the perfect picture. So they're like, take another one, take another one. And I'm like, yep. you need to get away from the dog at all. <laughs> so <laughs> we work with him a lot on having people approach him and got his sensitivity down on that quite a bit. But I never did take my eye off the ball on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier that coming back from a walk that he seemed to like uh, have an self-auto-groom. How was grooming in general with the, a white long-haired dog? <laughs> well, we would replace our vacuum cleaner about every six to nine months <laughs> because we his, a, a great Pyrenees hair is white and it's uh, thick, like coarse hair for part of it. And then there's and the undercoat is uh, like flyaway hair. Like it'll, you know, you, it's like it's something on my face, right? You've got one of those. So you've got this combination and they're very long hairs. So they wrap around the vacuum beater. Mm-hmm. So you have to undo, you have to take the vacuum cleaner apart two or three times while you're vacuuming the house <laughs> to cut the hair off the roller and then put it back on. So it's, you know, trying to find, and then all these vacuum cleaners come out. They're like, this is perfect for pets. It's dog proof. Nothing can happen with this one. And so you buy it and it doesn't work. And so, yeah, well, we tried to do the Roomba, which is that automatic vacuum cleaner Uh, thing. I don't don't know what made us think that that would possibly work (laughs) at our house, but we delusionally thought so. But yeah, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, do you know what a Furminator is? Yes. So a lot of Furminator, but there was so much coat that would blow out of that, that I only did it mostly in the summertime and we would do it outdoors. And there would just be these like white clouds of dog hair (laughs) in clumps, like tumbleweeds going through the yard. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and keeping his, uh, they grow hair quite a bit, you know, around their pads from who they are. And so we would keep that cleaned up so that he wouldn't get snow stuck in there in the winter time. And, you know, and when we would hike certain places, then there's a balm that you can put on their pads to, to keep him safe there. Um, you know, just cleaning up his ears, but he was pretty, I mean, other than managing that coat. So he didn't have ear infections. He never had eye, you know, anything like that going on. Um, his hips were always good, but Tom walked him two to four miles every single day no matter what the weather was like. So that made a huge difference. I think the great Pyrenees doesn't generally live to be 14. So we were really lucky. And I think a lot of that was, you know, it was good for him and it was good for Tom because Tom's a very fast walker. So they got their exercise in every single day. And sometimes it was, you know, two to two miles, but if you go twice a day, then he'd double that up. And that was their time to hang out with each other and talk to him and, you know, have their own, special bonding time. Oh, beautiful. What about um, nail maintenance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nail maintenance was a problem. <laughs> I am a big fan of that you trim your dog's toes or you play with their toes or you, at least their feet. You handle their feet all the time when they're a puppy and literally forever um, because I don't want to have a dog. You know, I always would crack up when people would come in for training and they'd be like, I cannot trim my chihuahua's feet. And I get it because chihuahuas have a personality that they're like, don't touch my feet, right? But they're telling me that their two-pound dog is control of the, is in control, you know? And I know for sure you can hold that dog down. So uh, Rocky really didn't like it. He'd get very upset. He didn't know what we were doing. And so uh, we would take a comforter from the bed and, you know, put it over him while he was just chilling. And then we would do some dog massage with this, like on his shoulders and on his back to get him sort of calmed down. And then we'd get a dentist stick and put it out here, but we wouldn't let go of it. So he had to kind of just nibble on it. And then the other person would sort of lay across his shoulders by where his head was. And then the other person would like try and sneak in a few, you know, and then the trick was you always have to get through all of them before he can get up. Right. <laughs> so you're like, we got it. We got it. One more, one more. Give me the foot. Give me the foot. You know? So yeah, that was, that was always cumbersome. So yeah, next dog, we will definitely be addressing the toenail issue early on in the dog process. <laughs> yeah. um, so general health seemed really good. Were there ever any sort of like a emergency trips to the vet for anything? Not really. I mean, he, we had a couple of times when he had like, you know, quote unquote sports injuries where he would, you know, 
pull something from running around like a maniac and, you know, they get the zips, the zips and, uh, you know, kind of pull a muscle kind of thing. But by and large, he was pretty healthy. Um, he wasn't, he wouldn't really get into things, you know, so he, we didn't have to take him in for having eaten something. And I think because it's not a, a zippy zippy dog, there's less opportunity for them to, you know, snag something or get caught on something or, you know, fall into a hole a little bit with one of their feet. And yeah, there's, I think there's less opportunity for, for that. And then it's, it's a dog that's built, you know, to be sturdy and, you know, be okay. But yeah, you could have a lot of different things could happen with a dog that size, just, you know, from them being in an, um, an unfamiliar environment. Mm -hmm. And if they have that reactionary behavior, they could easily get hurt. Yeah. So, so you just, yeah, we were we really lucked out on that one. <laughs> you just hinted at an answer. I ask everyone is to complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate. Oh wow. Let's see. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably the worst one would be in terms of our personal frustration, because we thought we were losing our minds, is he did something and we found it later. So he did hadn't actually eaten it, but he did. I think he ate part of it because it was gone. It was Tom's golf gloves. <laughs> they were out and he never, ever eats anything. Right. Yeah. So I don't know what was on them or what, but he took them and they were gone for two years. And then we found them. He had his own sofa in one of the rooms. And so when we moved, we were getting the, the couch cushions off. And when we moved the sofa, there's the gloves. They're both in there, <laughs> mauled. And so there must have been something. Tom's a type 1 diabetic, so I'm guessing that he had to eat something while he was on the course, and Rocky must have really liked it. But, yeah, and then later on, we, when he was going to the bathroom, we confirmed that he did indeed eat part of the glove. So <laughs> that that end came out. So poor guy. think of that. I mean, if you're going to eat something, that's a good one. It's not stringy. It's not going to get in your gut. So he was... Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't think I've had gloves as an answer before. So, as an answer? No, yeah. <laughs> and I've had a lot of different things. <laughs> um, Pantyhose, I think, is the worst one I've heard from someone <laughs> because then they had to help them get it out. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about sort of like uh, traveling and, and trips? Do you have a. Where was his spot in the in the car, and do you have any like favorite places to go? Yeah, oh, he would love to be either in the back seat sprawled out if he's all across there, and just sort of spoiled in there. And usually, when we were on our way to go hiking, he would be sitting up and you know checking things out. If there was a motorcycle nearby or a UPS truck, he would go nuts, you know, <laughs> until they were gone. And then when we get there, you know, having those trips sort of into where we have ravines and things like that to hike around in, he really seemed to enjoy that and be out of the element of being in the yard, I think. And so that was a, that was a pretty good one and trips to see family and things like that. And so he had some experiences that were buried with going to people's houses, but because he was so reactionary, we didn't take him to a whole lot of trips like that. So some of it was going to events, but we would always kind of hang out in the background, you know, just letting him have that experience, but not to the point where he was uncomfortable mm -hmm. so that he would gradually get to a point where we could go to a 5k with him and walk with him through it and, and have him be comfortable. It's, it's you know, it's, I don't obviously want anyone to get hurt, but I also don't want my dog to be in, put in a position where they feel like they should do something like that because they're so afraid. Uh, uh, nice. Very good strategy too. Can you, off the top of your head, if I was to ask, remember one of the happiest times that you and him should have shared? Does anything come to mind? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's it's not exclusive to Rocky, but um, I had met Tom, and he told me that he loved me, and I couldn't say it back yet. And we went to the gorge to go hiking with the dog, and I was watching Tom with the dog. And when I saw how Tom was with that dog, I knew right then that I was in love with Tom. And I think, so Rocky has always been kind of a part of our relationship, you know, and, and knowing that that's the kind of environment that I was going to be around is going to be dogs and an incredible amount of respect for the impact of dogs and just all in love for any dog that's in the, within, you know, a quarter mile. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. I just, I, I like to, um, I'm drawn to people who have the same 
you know, empathies that I do and the same, you know, passions for things. And he's definitely passionate about dogs. That's for sure. A beautiful moment. Um, Yeah. Did Rocky have any particular quirky habits or anything like that? Oh gosh. Plenty of those. Um, He did have this thing where if you would go walking with him and you would look at him and go, give me that stick. Then he would look for a stick and he always would pick up these, not a stick, but like a branch, like this huge thing that I can barely lift. And he's running around like a, like a puppy would with a little stick. And he's just dragging this branch and there are sections of the branch breaking off and he's running around and jumping up and down and people would drive by and just beep their horn and wave. And they all knew Rocky and they, they kind of <laughs> knew that Rocky didn't really want to meet them, but they all knew Rocky and they knew Tom because of Rocky. And so, yeah, that, that jumping around like, like that, where he was just so joyful and silly, you just knew that in his mind, he was like, Wee! you know, <laughs> having a great time. <laughs> oh, nice. Now, a lot of people, when they've, met a dog, had a dog, they sort of change their direction in, in life and things. So I know we're going to go down into that sort of happened with yourself. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, been in the ad agency business for, you know, 30 years. And so, but I had always loved dogs, right? And then, you know, I lost Tucker in 2013 and, I had just reached this, you know, big milestone that I had set for myself. It was sort of my, my stretch goal for where I was working. And, and I realized it's time for a new adventure for me. So I, you know, went back to school and got my master's degree and I I wrote this program for a nonprofit that I imagined that would um, help communities become dog friendly, but in a way that was authentic instead of we're dog friendly. And then you show up and well, we want, we don't want your breed here or, you can't go there or we don't have any, you know, holistic veterinary options or we don't have any ER here for dog, you know, places like that. And so it got so overused that I, I just had this feeling that because I had done some culture shift campaigns around water quality and, you know, alternative transportation and cycling and reforestation, where we saw real results from that, I, you know, in my narcissistic way, thought I could do this. <laughs> for dogs, right? Yeah. And I thought, you know, we have so many people out there now that are, you know, sharing their lives with dogs and elevating their view of their dogs to be their child or at least their family. And so we're starting to see this push for enrichment and better care and better nutrition and all the things that we demanded for our children. We are now starting to be a demand for our dogs. As it and be. so with that, Yes. <laughs> and with that, what I call the dogification of places that brings in, you know, things like infrastructure changes and support for the humane organizations and a lot of responsibility on the part of the owners and welcoming infrastructure is there. So, you know, you have to address public health and public safety and economic development when you're doing that. And so I decided to weave together my love for dogs and their ability to have an impact on our communities and mix that in with like an economic development strategy that would allow us to address big picture, 50,000 foot issues dealing with pet advocacy and how the world is for dogs and create a process that we could um, replicate so that people could say, you know, we don't have enough services for this, or I think I live in an area where I need help or we're having an issue with, we need capital funds for this project. So what if all of our communities prioritized the availability of care for animals? What if they prioritized finding solutions for dogs that are at risk for euthanasia? What if they had solutions for them to have off-leash play so that there was more responsibility, more training, more social skills that would be developed because the dogs grew up in a dog-friendly community? My experience with the research was that the more dog-friendly a community is, you can put those dogs pretty much anywhere that's not dog friendly and they'll kind of be able to navigate that area. But if you built a dog friendly town and then you took dogs and people from a not dog friendly town, you put them in that dog friendly town. I predict that there will be all kinds of problems because the dogs don't know how to be in a dog friendly community. If they've never been there, they don't know how to behave around people. People don't know how to behave around the dogs. 
And so it's, it's this like recipe for disaster. So I wanted to create this culture shift in a way that people would say, oh, so dog friendliness can impact our economy. And then it kind of blows up from there. So we just need to prioritize that a little bit more because if, if we have this creature that just regardless of breed, regardless of age, regardless of how they look, regardless of who owns them, they have an impact on our lives that can, that's almost immeasurable in, in so many different categories. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't we hitch our wagon to that? Why wouldn't we have that be the thing that we lead with? Right. This, there's no loss there. You know, it's, I know not everybody likes dogs. I think dog friendly communities should be great for people who don't like dogs. You know, it's, it's a choice, right? So in my opinion, life is better with a dog. But if you don't like dogs, you shouldn't have to feel like you can't live there. No, and it's the same fair. thing with, you know, wanting the dog friendliness, you know, not everybody wants to eat with your dog under your table next to each other. But most people assume that that's unsanitary or the dog's going to have an issue. And when the dog lives in an area that's dog friendly, they know how to eat out with their mom and dad. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just an evolution. So, yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to give, I guess, dogs some, some power in this, the decision about where we go with the world. Oh, that uh, sounds absolutely awesome. <laughs> so, that has now uh, evolved and that's become... The, the, the nonprofit? Yeah. Yep. Sorry. It's <laughs> been born. Yeah. So the, so the nonprofit was born of that. I actually, uh, let's see, it was about four months after I stopped, you know, I graduated with my master's, had the program and thought I'll put this on the shelf. And one day, <clears throat> one day when I'm going to work for solely for good and not for any money, then I'll do this. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. So uh, yeah, a few months later, I sat down with the people that I work with that, you know, fantastic creative agency, just, you know, a job that I can do with my eyes shut and make a lot of money for the rest of my life. But no, <laughs> let's quit our job make no money <laughs> to change the world through dogs. But uh, yeah, so now it's, it's definitely grown into, we have a curriculum for children to better understand how to be safe around dogs and that dogs have jobs sometimes and, uh, helping them understand breed discrimination and self-worth and um, topics like that, that are really sort of parallel to a dog's journey when they are abandoned and things like that. Mm -hmm. So to help them understand that and hope that those conversations about discrimination and care go home from the classroom to the living room. So that the conversations happen with the whole family. And then I wrote a book for those kids to learn about what that journey would be like from the dog's eyes. And then we, uh, we created what's called the Wagtown Dog Trail, which is a two mile trail that goes throughout the downtown area. And it stops at different landmarks in our city and highlights the businesses that are dog friendly. And along the trail, there are these three foot giant paw prints and then the autographs of dogs around the community are on these paw prints. So it's, it's a nice way to come in, learn about the city, check out the milestones. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a neat little project. So things like that. Um, then we have a program with the book that we send to rescues called Tucker to the Rescue. And that helps them, you know, business kind of materials, marketing materials, PR, mm -hmm. uh, digital media content to kind of help them. So it was a matter of taking what I learned about dog friendliness and then packaging things in a way where I could say, here's a nugget of something that you can take and run with. It's already done for you. All you have to do is implement this or apply it or just, you know, use it today, whatever the case, whatever the product is and uh, make it so that it is very accessible to them, affordable. We can establish social equity by making materials available to everyone. So the curriculum that I did is free to anyone in the world through PBS Learning Media. So it's the goal here was mission and then money if it comes, right? So needed to come up with a way to pay for it. And my, my uh, sticking point for me was that I wanted to be able to go into communities and do good without taking any resources from their local advocacy groups. So if you have a dealership that normally gives, you know, so many thousand dollars to the Humane Society, I didn't want to be an organization that came in and then got some of that money for Wagtown projects when it's clearly needed in the community. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the reason that I built Smart Dog Park was to address the infrastructure issue and the lack of training for those um, individuals that are bringing that to fruition and then maintaining them and for the users to better understand what it goes into that and, and what their role is for that. But that's that the reason I did that was to fund Wagtown. That way I can go into a community and say, I got this. You don't have to worry about it. 
it's covered. It's paid for through this certification program that I developed. So that to me takes the handcuffs off of limitations on what I can do. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can, at the end of the day, you know, teach people a lot more about dog play and, and, and enable people to, you know, get away from the standard, this is how we build a dog park <laughs> to, you know, what if you took everything you knew and just threw it away and started there? What, what do you want the experience to be like? Not how many square feet are we looking at? Yep. Uh, and I, I like the business model. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Where do people go to find out more about both of those things? Well, I have two different places to go. One of them is wagtown.org. We're a nonprofit, so we're the .org. And that will give you all kinds of information about different projects and programs we've worked on. If you go to wagtown.org slash news, then that's a really great place to take a look at all the press coverage because that kind of gives you a timeline of different projects that we've worked on, whether it be you know hurricane relief all the way up to the curriculum, what's in there and, and what are all the details are there. So there are opportunities to um, get involved there, to purchase the book for kids. And then smartdogpark.com is where people can get information. Uh, right now, we've got just a, a sale conversion page up there for people that are already interested. And so today, I'm building out all of the material to give people a better idea of the curriculum and what's included and you know all the value-added chain things. So excited to do that. And uh, if people have questions about it, they can certainly reach out to me on there. And I'm happy to walk people through whatever they're interested in. My, my goal here is to create a universe, right? A, a place where we live everywhere, everywhere, everywhere uh, that recognizes that it is possible that if we really recognize and prioritize the effect that dogs can have on our communities, we can change the world. Yep. To a much, much better place. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, it has been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. Loved hearing all about Rocky and about all the great work that you are doing. Thank you so much, Robert. It was an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you did, or even if you didn't, tell a friend about it. Just like our new listeners in Newburyport in the US and Agrida in Spain. The uh, best thing you can do for me is to get the word out on how awesome dogs are. In particular, how awesome the dogs are that have been on this podcast. You can also help by leaving a review, a like, um, be nice if you shared the episode with some of your friends and contacts on social media. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.